The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. everyone and welcome to Connected. This is the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts where we talk to the community about the arts. I'm Erin Rayberg, founder and executive director of Side Street, and I'm back with our Vote Local series about the arts and politics in anticipation of our 2023 local elections for city council and mayor. I will be speaking to as many candidates as possible about their participation in and views on the arts and culture in Elgin. And today I'm joined by city council candidate Tia Agassin. Augustin, you got it. <laughs> I, I questioned myself in the last <laughs> second and I blew it. Oh, no. Hi, Tia. <laughs> Hello. OK, it's just a Nordic alphabet soup of vowels that uh, most people cobble together in mostly the right way. So it's whatever you want it to be. It's Augustin is, is how we'll go for it today. We need to know your full first name, too, right? Because when we're looking at yes. the ballot, it will look a little bit different than Tia. Correct. So the ballot, when you all go to the polls, either on April 4th or before, because you are vigilant citizens of Elgin, uh, it's going to look like Christina, and then in quotes, Tia Augustin. And it'll probably be the longest one on there, I think. is <laughs> my, my name is about dead center. I think I'm number five or six on the ballot. So my given name was Christina. Um, when I was about two or three, I was trying to pronounce it and failed miserably, and it came out Tia. And so my father allowed that to stick. And so here we are, but in a very complicated name situation. So find either of those names or the the name that you can't pronounce and any of that will work for me. (laughs) I will make that work. Mm -hmm. Tia, I'm happy to be talking to you. Tell me your Elgin story. What do you have to do with Elgin and what does Elgin have to do with you? Yeah, I I didn't grow up here. Um, I've lived probably more than a dozen places um, since I left home after high school. I grew up in Iowa, and um, my first life was in the culinary arts, actually. Um, I got my degree in um, culinary arts and hospitality out in California at the Culinary Institute of America. So I moved out there just after graduation and um, interned in Chicago. I knew I wanted to come back this way. Um, and then went back for my second year and spent a little time in Seattle, but ultimately found my way back to the Chicagoland area, which is where I met my husband. He's a firefighter in Downers Grove, but he lived in Elgin. He grew up in the St. Charles area, but um, just given what Elgin had to offer and just it was a it was a kind of a different fun place to live. Um, he bought a house here. And so when we got together, I moved out this way and totally fell in love with it. I was, you know, I think he jokingly referred to me as a flight risk because I'd been all over the place, but <laughs> I assured him I was willing to stick around. And um, I've been really happy with, you know, my, that decision. I think it was absolutely the right one. And when we had an opportunity to, you know, maybe rethink moving and, you know, did we want to stay in the house that we were in? We chose to stay here and we love being here. We had opportunities to leave and go to other places, but um, this place really captured our hearts. And so I tell people I'm not from here, but I, I want to be here. And that's that's what we, we carry through and we make this choice to stay. Um, we love it here. So I got involved in Elgin when I became a property owner. Um, so my husband owned this house and I was like, Ooh, land. And so I wanted chickens. And so I started 
irritating people on Facebook <laughs> as the who I needed to talk to to change the ordinance because at the time you weren't allowed to keep uh, you know backyard chickens and coming from this culinary background this felt very important to me so um, I got in touch with Aaron Cosentino who at the time was the city staff liaison on the sustainability commission and he said well you'll have to come to one of our meetings and we'll recommend it to council from there so I put together all of my arguments and presented and they unanimously said we should recommend this and then we went through about you know six or eight months of um, kind of going back and forth and getting on the agenda at council and there were all these like you know silly intense Facebook fights about <laughs> this whole ordinance proposal and people felt very passionately and a lot of people came on board with us uh, it was pretty incredible to have some support from total strangers on it. So through all of that, the moral of the story is that I came to know a lot of city council members. Um, I came to know a lot of different organizations in the community and um, thought I should get further involved. You know, I was at these council meetings and there were other discussions being had and those things interested and, you know, involved me too. So um, one thing sort of begat the other and I applied to be on the Sustainability Commission and was appointed a short time later. Um, I served for about five years and was chair for about three. Um, was really proud of the work that we did. It was, um, there was breadth and depth to it and we weren't always entirely successful. But what I loved about it is that we had small ways of doing meaningful things. And I think that's sort of the work that um, I wish to continue um, on council. So um, the way I see it, um, you know, why why am I running and how does all this matter? Um, I, I approached the system as someone who just, you know, was barely a citizen and wanted, I wanted to create a little bit of change for my little slice of the pie and had, um, a positive outcome from it and understood kind of that part of the process and also then sat on the other side of the table and understood that side of the process and what that was like and you know have kind of linked my way through some of these things and um, I think those are important experiences to bring especially as we consider what government is and what good government does which is involve people and is driven by people and so we have to understand how people interact with it how when they are successful, why that is and what kind of leadership it takes to hear, you know, from from folks and to effectively create change that's meaningful for people. So I think that kind of experience is really important. And I hope to bring that with me um, as I approach this race here. So um, alongside that, these amazing relationships that I've built, I mean, it's been such a blessing to have the, you know, the support of of the community that have been around for, you know, through this whole thing, if you would have told me that relationships that I built because of this silly chicken thing 10 years ago, if you paid dividends down the road, I would have, uh, I would have laughed. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of look at this as a, a sort of global thing. It all fits together. And um, I hope to bring some, some good, some good leadership into what Elgin is trying to accomplish. I so remember the story. great chicken debate <laughs> of, of those years ago reading in the newspaper, um, but of course did not know you then and had no idea mm -hmm. the human behind it. So that is fascinating <laughs> to learn and hear and know that um, much greater involvement for you came out of that. Um, yeah. Not everyone has that experience, right? Can right. you 
relate to or, you know, those moments, not just Facebook arguments, right, which can send any of right. us into a dark hole. Um, but what were some of the hurdles that you needed to get over to pursue this, you know, like you said, like this tiny little dream for this, book, you know, <laughs> to make happen? How, how did that all go? I think one of the most important lessons that I learned from it is that, um, you know, you have to build a coalition and success looks like different things for different people um, and their agreement looks different. So there were folks who saw this as a property rights issue and said, you know, I'm for it because I don't believe that I should be the person to tell you what you can and can't do with your with your land. There were folks that felt that it was a sustainability issue, um, which I think, especially in the context of today, as we look at supply chain disruptions and, you know, what avian flu has done to, you know, how we access food. I think those are valid arguments as well. There are some people who just like animals and thought it was like, who cares? Um, you know, there's no logic behind how many parrots a person can have inside their house. So there were different um, there were different arguments that needed to be made. And I think that's an important thing was when I set out to do this um, and it took time to learn. I wasn't always successful, but um, being really intentional about addressing all of those concerns and working around, you know, what what was the value for this person that I should try to meet and understand and, um, you know, give some some confidence that this is not going to impact them negatively or if they if they did align, you know, kind of understanding how to play into that. So I think those are very real skills um, and very real um, strategies that are, you know, they they carry through to other other issues as well. And I think those are the types of um, strategies that I learned quickly and early on. And I, I hope to bring um, going forward because you're you're absolutely right. It's not always successful. And there have been things that I've tried doing on the Sustainability Commission that were complete flops uh, for, <laughs> for other reasons. Um, but the point is that you keep trying and you keep working and you keep, um, you know, pressing the edges towards the middle and trying to make it happen. So um, it just it just takes time and you have to build that coalition among everyone because you can't do it by yourself. Well, that's so, I mean, tiny little mind-blowing statement of agreements look different, right? It, mm -hmm. I, it, it, in our divisive world today, even if I'm like debating with my husband, sometimes we're like, right. I think we're saying the exact same thing. <laughs> Just with two totally different brains, right? Yeah. You know, heading in the same direction, but people's rationales for doing things can look and be so different, all headed in the same direction. That's hard yeah. for us to see sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it takes time and practice and by no means am I an expert, but those are good lessons to have. So, um, yeah. So why now? Why now? Why run right now? <laughs> I've thought about this before. Um, so I, my bachelor's is in political science, um, which I got actually right over here. Uh, ECC has their little partnership with Columbia College. So I was really pleased to be able to do that. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, t I tend to be kind of globally minded. And I, I looked around and said, well, I have a good amount of experience and a good amount of education around this. And I have some really helpful folks that are really supportive and I kind of understand what's happening here. So um, it was, it was important to me to recognize that, um, you know, if you have a platform, you need to use it. So many times in life, we look to other people to use their platform and when they're not doing it effectively, it becomes frustrating because you're like, you have the ability. So whatever little tiny uh, soapbox that I can stand on, I think is important to try to elevate 
others through. Um, so I recognize that I have, you know, some advantages in certain ways that other people maybe just don't. And so um, those are the, I think I, I can contribute to a greater good because of that, um, because of these experiences, because of my education. Um, you know, I attended the Elgin Leadership Academy. I'm studying organizational leadership for my master's. So if not for this type of stuff, then what for? Um, and that was kind of what drove me. And honestly, it was, um, <laughs> I was sitting in a, um, I think it was a sustainability commission meeting and Robin Magala, she's kind of our local um zero waste guru she's pretty amazing if you don't know her she's a badass she's a badass she is (laughs) um she she came into the meeting and i was covering it so i was myself and another ex-commissioner have our own little podcast that covers the sustainability commission because this is what we do for fun um and she came in one day just a few months ago it was over like late summer as i was pondering this whole thing and she was frustrated with some sort of inaction that the commission, you know, wasn't taking. And she said, you know, you are responsible. If it's not you, then, you know, who else is going to be responsible for doing these things? And I think it's that sense of responsibility that I kind of had this moment of like, I think Robin's talking to me and she doesn't know it. So I I inadvertently blame her for my my engaging in all of this and kind of pushing me in that direction. Because I think that sense of responsibility um, is critical. You know, if if you want things to happen, you have to just ultimately be the one who's willing to take the step and do the thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I look at it and say, I, I need to be responsible for what I can. And so I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to put myself out there and hope that others will join me. All blame and credit to to Robin, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Robin's fault. <laughs> um, you mentioned, of course, the culinary arts. I'm interested mm-hmm. in what you focused on there through your through your creative education through that. Yeah, you know, I was the kid who uh, in high school I really procrastinated on doing things like applying for college and. Um, knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up, my my sister was the total opposite. You know, she was the person who you know, was accepted into the college that she knew she wanted to go to and had all of her ducks in a row. And, you know, my father's an attorney, my mother's a nurse, they had very clear career paths. And I was like, I don't know. And I think (laughs) I was just adrift. Um, But I started working in kitchens when I was um, probably a, a sophomore in high school and just really loved it. I thrived in that environment. The stress met with, um, you know, that like camaraderie that you have with complete strangers and often people that you would never ever deal with in real life unless you absolutely had to that are now your best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that that environment to be really, really fulfilling and really meaningful. And truly it was, I mean, when you think about the culinary arts, I think people, um, you know, I, I think sometimes they struggle to understand that it is art, but it is a way of expressing yourself. And to me, one of the most beautiful things that can happen is to bring people together over food, which, you know, is so powerful when it when it does work out the right way. Um, and to get people to trust you, um, that's kind of one of the most important things. I worked in a country club for a while, and we had a lot of folks that, you know, they liked their steak and potatoes and their usual American fare. But if I could get them to trust me um, and get them to appreciate what I was capable of doing, we could do some really fun stuff. And it kind of blew their minds sometimes. And that was the kind of stuff that I really thought was amazing that I could I could get people to try things that they otherwise would never be willing to to go out on a limb and and try out. So and and it was, you know, 
it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You know, it doesn't have to be a linear. Uh, sometimes it's just something made with a little bit of love that really is meaningful. So I think that's uh, that's the way I always approached food <laughs> in, my, in my experience. You know, we, TJ and I, for a long time, we did these really fun um, dinners at our house house we love entertaining and we'd have all these disparate groups of people that didn't know each other and that was my favorite thing was to bring everybody together for food so uh, that's amazing I think that's that was those are some of my favorite things to do yeah that keeping people fed and creating community they very much go hand in hand and uh I see so many parallels between uh, the gathering of weirdos that I <laughs> here at side street with all these amazing weirdos to the color. I mean, they are, they're running on parallel courses right there. <laughs> right. I love amazing weirdos. They're the best. They're the best. So what has been your involvement with arts and culture and of any kind here in Elgin? What have you been getting into? I started making a list. So if it's boring, but I mean, let me know. Um, We've gone to Nightmare for years, um, which I think one of my favorite things about it is seeing the creative ways that folks engage in that. Um, The costumes and everything else, you know, aside, there's also all of the other, you know, art elements that come alongside it. But it is such a wild night for um, just visual and performative arts. Just everything is just... uh, so amazing with it and it does really create this really amazing experience and we've come back year after year um this last year was the first year that we haven't gone um, when it's been available and I was kind of bummed about it uh but we've made friends that through that event you know and I it yeah it's it's something really amazing and I hope that Elgin continues to find ways to participate in it because I do think it is one of those things that really sets us apart um, one of my favorite things that I will always plug, um, that I feel like so few people know about is Green Room, which is the amazing, uh, little, like, they've been together for 20 years, uh, improv group that performs in the basement of the Hemmins on the first Friday of every month, and they're incredible. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into when we started going, but we loved it and we've become such evangelists for it. We drag people to it all the time and they're like, this is incredible. Why is this only $18? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm a little hesitant to keep bringing people because I feel like it's going to just explode. (laughs) My favorite hidden gem is going to be not so hidden, but they're incredible. Um, Through the commission, we did a lot with art. And I think that was one of the cooler things and surprising ways that um, people maybe just underestimate when we started looking at our what we called Earth Month, which is, you know, the um, whole month of activities that we try to put together kind of a community calendar for the month of April so that Earth Day was not just a day, but a whole 30 days or whatever. Um, we were very purposeful in engaging the arts community and trying to, you know, elevate ideas of sustainability. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just have to be the usual suspects, but we found, you know, Risa Jones and the Hamilton Wings group, they we're looking into doing all these really cool natural art projects. Um, I think the storm drain decoration kind of stuff was part of that too. And under like linking this idea that the storm drain leads to our water. And so we should be paying attention to, you know, what those types of things actually mean for the quality of our drinking water. Um, we brought, um, shoot Scott Martinez. He was, um, what was that? 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. Uh, he was a signatory for um, 
a group of kids who were suing the U.S. government because of what 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 their argument was. They knew that global warming was a thing and that climate change was real and had not acted on it. And he was also wildly involved with the Dakota Access Pipe Pipeline protests. He's a Native American uh, kid that also happened to be a rap artist um, and now is actually pretty well known for that. So we brought him into Elgin, recognizing that engaging um, especially young kids in the arts and also this element of sustainability was really important for us, you know, as a commission and as a community to continue caring about these types of things. So I think uh, kudos to Eric uh, Anderson, who was on the commission, who was the one who said, we need to find something that the kids want to do. <laughs> so we brought, we brought that in into Elgin. And I was, I was ha happy to be able to do that. Um, but outside of that, you know, the, Short Film Festival is one of our other favorite things that we've gone to for several years. Um, really surprising talent coming out of that that is just wonderful. And I wish that we had it six times a year and we could do it like at the movie theater and everything and just make it a huge event. I think it's amazing. Um, and then, of course, uh, I almost missed this one, too. We went to a, um, a studio event. I think it was at Side Street. Um, and we met this artist. She was probably 18 years old at the time. And she had um, a kind of a drawing there that we thought was really cool. And I asked her, you know, are you selling this? And she said, no. I said, well, think about it. And we were in touch. She ultimately, the long story short of it is that she not only uh, sold that, but then we commissioned another piece from her as well. So we've been happy. Like, we just love supporting local artists whenever we can. We thought it was her talent was just really impressive. So we uh, happily paid her a bunch of money so that we could hang some of her art in our house. Uh, but the point of that whole story being that we love the fact that Elgin has these really talented folks that places like Side Street put on display and um, invest in and promote up and down. So those are all you know critical things that bring joy to our lives every single day. So we're happy to keep doing them. You have some of the things you mentioned have that you have that kind of behind the scenes perspective of how the city has been involved in supporting yeah. bringing the arts to. So um, I'm assuming that the Sustain Sustainability Commission has its budget, like the Cultural Arts Commission has its budget, and some of those things go to support that. Um, beyond, you know, uh, budgets for commissions and that sort of thing, uh, what else do you think should be the city's role in supporting the arts and cultural activities um, in our city? Yeah, I think everything you all have done with a, such a limited amount of resources, I applaud you. <laughs> I know that it is not easy. Uh, I saw Amanda Harris's presentation on some of the events that are coming up this last week, and I, it just blows my mind that we are we are capable of doing what we have been doing on what feels like a shoestring <laughs> and only a few hands, but I, I commend you all for, for being capable of, of pulling off these amazing events and putting all of these incredible talented people at the forefront of, you know, what we're up to in Elgin. I, in terms of roles and responsibilities, I think it's up to people like council to continue supporting folks like Amanda Harris and yourself and other commission members. It's through your work that we can continue to kind of, make throughways into the community. I think you guys have this amazing grant program and now you're expanding some of those types of things into the event space as well. And I think that's amazing. And it's the responsibility of, of council and even commissioners beyond that um, to continue investing and supporting that 
and recognizing that those dividends don't necessarily pay off tomorrow, but it will take, you know, potentially years or decades before some of those talents really, you start to understand what mattered, you know, the things that really influenced you. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the, the important thing for, for leaders to keep in mind is that art is one of those things that's hard to quantify. Um, so we have to be, we have to recognize that it's, it's a social benefit and it's sometimes difficult to pin down. Yeah, we're definitely always doing the educating of also it's an economic driver. Also it's that, right. Also yeah. all of these things, right. You right. Nightmare, which apparently turned to profit, you know, this last year, which is amazing and exciting, you know, but that will yeah. show that creative, entertaining, fun, ridiculous, magical event in such a different way to, you know, people who the profit is the most important thing, right or wrong, right? Yeah. And so that's yeah. an interesting turn, turn this time. And I, I, you know, I've seen, I'm, I'm happy to see that staffing is, I mean, Amanda mentioned it, especially I think for Nightmare about how short staffed we ultimately are for that event. And I think we're kind of at this um, economic tipping point with some of it, where if we had just a little bit more, we could be kind of doing this economy of scale, we could be doing so much more. And I think it was uh Councilman Dixon that brought up, you know, how can we leverage this event to do other things? And so what that looks like probably for you guys is that you need more people in order to accomplish that, but the impact could be tenfold. So I think to your point, it's it's sometimes hard to, you have to continually, you know, educate and, and advocate for all of these different ways that art impacts how we operate. And, and especially to your point, you know, we know that it makes us more creative and we, it makes us better problem solvers. Um, you know, kids who play instruments, how many, you know, thousands of studies out there are <laughs> about how that changes how you, you know, your brain chemistry and how you function and and for the better. So we can't discount that, but it's certainly hard to put down on paper. Tia, are there other activities or events you would like to see growing or happening in Elgin that that aren't right now? Oh, I think I put, I put a list down. Um, you know, I, I just... I love a lot of the performance arts. I think those are, I think those are, um, we have a lot going on in that space and I would love to, maybe it's just more promotion across the board. And I think maybe I answer this um, in one of the other questions that you had answered uh, or asked of, of us. Um, I think one of the challenges is that you guys have so much going on. And I say you guys, I'm just collectively calling you all the arts, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> So I think it's hard for people, I, I guess, to answer that question. It's, um, maybe I can go back here a little bit. What would I like to see more of? I More of everything, I guess. But on top of that, I would love to see things be marketed and maybe more marketing around a lot of what you do. I think you're such a hidden gem. And I had two conversations recently, um, one of which I had an event over at Side Street. And there were some folks over at EPH that were helping me move some stuff over there. And two of the guys said, you know, what is this place? I had no idea. And they were just, their minds were blown. Like they had no clue that a block away, all these really cool things were going on. Um, and then also with another, um, a, another guy here in Elgin, you know, said, I would love to have some maker space here in Elgin. I said, well, there is some, you know, did you know about these things? And did you know about what side streets doing when they moved to this incredible new building? And this is, I'm wildly uneducated. So you should talk to somebody else who knows <laughs> a lot more about this, but you know, you should be excited because if you are someone 
who, um, you know, considers yourself a, you know, an artist or a creator in the community, you should get, get in touch with these people. So I think, um, I would love to see more of everything. And I think because of kind of the unfortunate silo that is our society, um, it's just going to take a lot more intentional marketing and communication and effort around getting other folks involved. Cause I think there are just such cool ideas that are now burgeoning out of all of these events that we've had going on. I love the fact that we've incorporated, um, you know, live music and art into things like our farmer's market. So the more that we can kind of mix all of these different groups of people together, I think the better we're going to have these really surprising and creative events and, um, you know, uh, art-based, I guess, beyond events, but um, cultural opportunities outside of that. We always call it tricking people into appreciating <laughs> the art. Like, right. oh, if you come in, you know, to Side Street to see like this really hardcore band and there happens to be magical art on the walls, you've been tricked, you know? Like if you right. go to the farmer's market and stumble upon this amazing guitar player, like you've been tricked. You've been <laughs> tricked. No, I love that. Um, and I, you know, I had written down this little example. I love what, uh, oh, the ESO is another, uh, you know, sort of arty thing that I like to get involved in. but. Mark Thayer, who's the CEO, was talking to me recently about how they have the Star Wars night coming up. And he was really excited about some of the marketing that they were doing there with these giant life-size cutouts of like Darth Vader in the middle of, you know, Vader coffee. And I think that that sort of thing is brilliant. I love that because it, it, it disrupts their little flight, you know, people's flight patterns and it makes you go, what is that? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I didn't know that this was a thing. This is culturally really interesting to me. I would love to know more about this. So um, yeah, I think the more that we can kind of cross pollinate and engage people, then people also want to contribute to it. And that's been the cool thing that I've seen is that it's often people who are not right now participating that I want to see them go do things too. like the more that we can involve, you know, everyone collectively, I think that's what makes it so much cooler. Yeah, we know you have the sustainability background as well. What else are you running on? What else kind of rounds out what's important to you in this campaign? I think a lot of it boils down to, um, I, I tell people that I tend to be a bit of a process driven, uh, individual. I was affectionately referred to as the speed bump in my last job. And I say affectionately, I maybe not, but, um, <laughs> I, I tend to be the, the person who wants to ensure that how we're doing things is right. And that we are fully engaging everyone in the, and, and that we're doing the process, right. You know, that we're, we're, talking to the right people we've we've engaged the right stakeholders we haven't missed anyone or left anything behind and outside of just a sense of inclusivity that's how you make sure that something is successful um, that's how you make sure that you build that coalition that you have folks who are supportive of something so that it when you go to execute it doesn't you know die in the battlefield that that sort of um, thought process is what I hope to bring I think, too frequently, it's really easy to distill ideas and what you want to promote into a bumper sticker that's just, you know, infrastructure or whatever, um, without really getting into what that means and how we get there. And, you know, what are what are the details behind this? What does the contract say? What are the what is the budget going to uphold? You know, and those are um, unfun and unenjoyable for many people details. But to me, I think that's how you ultimately get things done. And then on top of that, bringing in some of these experiences, you know, as I served on the commission and as I participated as a, you know, a 
um, just an average citizen. And I don't know if you can speak to this, but, you know, there are processes around how we bring people onto commissions and how we, um, you know, actually engage with counsel that I think could definitely benefit from some added input from the commissions themselves and outside of that. So, I, you know, I think there are small ways that we can make our commissions a little bit more transparent, a little bit more accessible, a little bit more available for folks, you know, as someone who wants to make change in the community, who do you talk to and how do you go about that? And is what one process, is it always going to be the same for everybody else so that we can be clear about it? Or is it sometimes that it's wildly different depending on what the situation is? And is that frustrating for folks? So I think it's important that we take a look at how folks are engaging with their government and ensuring that those processes are clear and transparent and, you know, the the meetings are accessible, the, the agendas are, you know, published somewhere and outside of just what the Open Meetings Act requires, but how do we make that consumable for people so that they want to participate? You know, that, that was to me kind of the impetus behind some of the podcasting that Eric and I did for the Sustainability Commission. We recognize that um, people want to know about what their government is doing and they want to be involved in it, but they can't always make a meeting. Um, you know, I think people love things like The Daily Show and some of these other kind of infotainment shows. So how do we make things a little bit more consumable? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's too much to ask that people not, you know, have a, a conversation about their government that's dry and boring. Um, and I think that sort of mentality is important to carry through. And I think government can actually be the the impetus for that sort of, you know, communication. It doesn't have to be so boring. Um, it doesn't have to be so unavailable. Well, and that idea of consumability, like even understandable, you know, having sat with the mm -hmm. city code before, mm -hmm. it, it, I mean, it's it, the city's code has made me cry before. So <laughs> how, like, just truth moment, right? You know, being able to understand, and then yes, I want to talk to someone who knows everything about it, but I don't. So how does that conversation right. um, not make me cry again, sort of thing? Right. Know? And how do we remove some of those barriers? You know, we have this. And I think things like the 311 app that we have is a great example of how some of that could work, right? So um, you have this ability for a person to on the go, open their phone, they see a problem, they take a picture of it, and they send it straight to the city. And there's an interactive, you know, communication component with it. Um, so how how cool is that, that people have that through line and that, that access point? Let's do more of some of that kind of work and give people a little bit more transparency and yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's overly difficult for us to do that. It's just going to take a little bit of creativity. And that's why I love some of the creativity that's coming out of, you know, places like the arts and culture community, because that's ultimately what's going to make it enjoyable for people and make them want to participate. Tia, if people want to know more about you or your campaign, where can they find you? They can find me at tiaforelgin.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook at, what is it, facebook.com slash Tia for Elgin or Instagram, um, you know, at Tia for Elgin. I am happy to, you know, if, if folks want to reach out to me, I'm happy to have a coffee with you or come to your neighborhood if you have a couple folks that would like to meet me. Um, I will have the, actually yesterday, I think, yeah, yesterday the Daily Herald published the first round of kind of interviews with all of us. So you can hear more about what I have to say there. We'll also have a few uh, candidate forms coming up. So the League of Women Voters is later on in February. I think it's the 28th. And then there's another couple of them happening in March. So 
you know, follow us on social media and see what we're up to this week. And we'll be sure to, you know, try to catch you somewhere. And I think um, if this process has taught me anything, it's that, you know, frustratingly, only about 6,000 people ultimately vote in this community for our leadership. And so we need to make sure that other people are engaged in this and how we're doing things right now is maybe not how it's going to be done forever. So what does change look like in terms of, you know, getting petition signatures or getting folks to know who their candidates are? Um, those are all top of mind for me as I as I head into this election, because I think those are those are tenants that may be changing over time. We know it can be, you know, right now, 10 people are running for city council. That's a lot of people to learn about, right? Two, two people yeah. for mayor. It's it, There's other elections, too. It's a lot of dedication people need, you know, need to put in to um, make an informed decision. And so I really like to encourage people to start now, start paying attention, start figuring out your voting plan. It's not always easy yeah. to vote. Stuff happens. So um, in Cook County, early voting starts March 10th, I think, which is right around the stinking corner. And in Kane, March 20th. Um, and then the big days, April 4th. So start to get that voting plan together and, and find the information and reach out to that those candidates. I mean, I've, I've spoken to many candidates and not one has said, don't reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, being a part of this, I always had this sense that, you know, there was some monolithic wall that was, you know, unscalable in terms of my access to folks who are running for office. And I can assure you that the exact opposite is likely true and it should be true, um, realistically. So we're all here for the betterment of our community. And that only happens when the community is allowed to engage. So um, I encourage everyone to reach out. And, you know, if I can't have direct coffee with you, I will definitely take your phone call <laughs> because the schedule is tight these days. But yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That's a terrific plug and a wonderful reminder. Early voting does start early and you can check out the ballots ahead of time. So if you're nervous about who might be showing up where, you can print that out ahead of time and, you know, Google till your heart's content and see what people are all about, which I absolutely encourage. Tia, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Connected. Be sure to follow and like and share so everyone can gather this information. Of course, love and like all the side street stuff everywhere. And don't Yay. forget to make your voting plan. Tuesday, April 4th is the big day. Thank you, Tia. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.